passage is in John 6. It's after the feeding of the 5,000 and after Jesus walked on the water. The crowds follow Jesus to the other side of the lake and they pester him for a sign. And there's masses about it in John 6. Then we get to John 7 and Jesus says this. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then there's lots more dialogue, to and fro. I, I, I don't, we haven't got time to read it all, but you can go home and read it yourselves. So we fast forward to John 6, uh, verses 60 to 66. On hearing it, that's hearing this teaching, many of Jesus' disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then John tells us, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So the Jews of Jesus' day, not just Judas, were expecting a Messiah who would deliver them from their current situation, oppression from the Romans, someone sent and anointed by God to establish Israel as God's kingdom on earth. When Jesus started his ministry by quoting from Isaiah 61, you know, that whole passage about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him, um, they weren't, uh, they, they they acknowledged that he was the coming Messiah. But they weren't expecting manna from heaven They weren't hungry and they weren't particularly fussed about eternal life. They wanted a deliverer in the here and now. So many of his Jesus' disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. They no longer thought he was the Messiah. They stopped traveling with him. So that's very sad, isn't it? But what's that got to do with Judas? Well... In this same passage, reading on just a few verses on, Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, uh, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says this, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And then John, who's written the gospel, in brackets, he puts this. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So we have a window there into um, this point when, I think, Judas stopped being loyal to Jesus. And we're told that Jesus actually knew it and identified Judas as a devil, which really means a deceiver, a liar. It's like we might call someone an angel because they're lovely. You might say someone's a devil because they ain't very nice. And what's interesting is Jesus didn't name him, uh, but Jesus did know the state of Judas's heart. So I just want to uh, pause for a minute and ask you to think about this question. 
Are you, this morning, in this moment, facing towards God or away from God today? Don't speak to anybody. Just think it. You know, what, if God's looking at your heart right now, is it warm towards him? Are you facing towards God? Or are there things that are getting in the way of, of that? You see, I think maybe if Judas had fessed up, if you like, and talked to someone about what he was thinking, um, maybe if he'd talked to one of the other 11, or even to Jesus directly, the story might have unfolded very different. But I don't think he wanted to expose himself, because as Peter said, he had nowhere else to go, and he didn't want to be vulnerable. It would have been too risky for him to publicly speak out the fact that he didn't think Jesus was the Messiah anymore. I mean, we have to think that, don't we? Because he wouldn't have betrayed Jesus to the authorities if he had thought he was the Messiah. So at some point, his loyalty changed. So that's um, the first bit in the Bible, which I think gives us a clue to what Judas was thinking. And the second bit is found in John chapter 12. Um, It's when Mary anoints Jesus' feet at Bethany after Lazarus is raised. Uh, John 12, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. But one of the disciples, guess who, um, who was later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Well, I've done a bit of research. Um, the average medium wage in the UK today is uh, £33,000 per annum. So um, let's just throw that all on Helen's feet, shall we? And uh, would we be happy about it? Um, So I want you now to talk in twos or threes about Judas. And, you know, it was very nice that people were so compassionate towards him when when, uh, Gwyneth asked what you think about when you think about Judas. How would you have felt? Would you have had empathy with him? Do you sympathise with him? Um, These two stories. Okay, so just have a a think about where you would be coming from if you were him in those situations. Off you go. (laughs) So I don't know how I would have um, responded to Jesus' teaching on being the manna from heaven. I don't know how I would have responded, but I would have been hopefully loyal to him if he'd chosen me and I was, he was my rabbi and I was his student. I hoped I would have listened. But then this thing about the poor, yeah, I've got a lot of sympathy with Jesus' anger uh, at wasting all this stuff on, on worship. Well, so that's where he was coming from. Um, but uh, the next verse, we read this. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As money keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he was the church treasurer, but then he was looking after number one. Uh, so he didn't really care about the poor, so he's disingenuous here. 
And that thieving shows that he's already on a slippery slope. He is not close to God. Um, And Judas didn't get Mary's act of worship because he didn't think that Jesus was worthy of it. So, you know, there's just so many different angles that we could take here and focus on. But I want to focus on the next bit. Um, There's more to the story. Jesus rebuffs uh, Judas quite sharply. Well, I think quite sharply. Uh, John 12, 7, he says, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Just less than a week later, Judas hands Jesus over to the authorities. So I think he's taken great offence at Jesus' rebuffal here, and he's put his trust in what he can see. He can't see eternity. He can't see a different future. He can only see the now, and the now is not delivering on the promises he expected the Messiah to fulfil. So there's no wow in his life. Where's the wow in Judas's life? Do we ever see him utter anything that is positive? Um, Without a heavenly perspective, Judas has lost hope. And he then becomes cynical and corrupt. He rejected Jesus and the the life giver and he handed him over. Did he know that Jesus was going to be tried and put on the cross? I don't know. I don't think so, because then he takes his own life. So I don't think he intended for Jesus to be killed. Um, It's all subjective, isn't it? But Jesus is the great eternal wow factor. And um, (laughs) he offers us hope, uh, hope for the future. Uh, It's through Jesus, and I know you know this, but I'm just reminding you that we have eternal life. And eternal life starts in this life as soon as we say yes to Jesus. That relationship with God that lasts forever. Um, And God can offer us this relationship because it was on the cross that Jesus dealt with everything that separates us from God. Now, the thing is, it's all a bit tricky because Judas didn't know any of that, did he? Um, We are living the other side of the cross. But this life that we're living is no ordinary life. It's an abundant life. It's the life that um, Jesus says uh, in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Full life. Um, So what's this abundant life? Is it happiness? That's not happiness. It includes happiness. Uh, But it's highs and lows, joys and sorrows. It's a full life, a spiritual life with Jesus right there with us. Uh, With us in whatever we are facing. With us in the pit. Strengthening us and sustaining us through whatever life throws at us. And Jesus calls each one of us to come to him to be spiritually alive. Um, So, you know, outside Christian circles, people often think that being a Christian is about doing good. It's being a good person. But it's not. It's this wonderful spiritual life, which um, 
where he doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to uh, live our lives alive to him, uh, with, with him in them, giving him our hearts, our minds, our strengths, and our soul. That's emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and physical lives. So um, Colossians 3 says, 3 verse 3 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ, as you've put your faith in Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Um, so, our lives hidden in God, um, there's a cost to our lives hidden in God, and it's this thing about um, continual repentance, um, which leads to this complete change of heart, this continual lifetime journey with God. So it's not a, a once thing done and then everything's rosy. Uh, no, pray not. God wants us to keep coming to him and giving him our all. Um, and Judas just doesn't seem to be able to have got his head around what Jesus was asking of his disciples. There's um, an article doing the rounds on Facebook uh, by an American pastor explaining why he left the church. Um, some of you may have seen it. It said, and in it he says this. Are you listening? When I became a pastor... I thought that the reason why this group of people gathered every Sunday was to explore deep questions about life and to push ourselves to become better humans. What I have learnt is that my assumption was wrong. Although there are definitely some people who come to church for these reasons, the majority of people who attend churches are in the fixed mindset category. Um, so, um, there are two mindsets. This is what his therapist has told him, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. So, I'll just explain what these are. A uh, growth mindset is uh, somebody who's willing to take chances, who enjoys learning new things and is not afraid to fail. Okay. Willing to take chances, enjoys learning new things, and is not afraid to fail. Uh, whereas somebody with a fixed mindset uh, doesn't like to be challenged. <laughs> they perceive failure as the limit of their abilities, and they're scared of learning new things, especially if these new things disrupt their current world view. Okay. And I think it's hard for us because, um, you know, there, there are so many different worldviews out there. Um, anyway, fixed mindset people want a familiar, comfortable life where their beliefs are affirmed and not challenged. Um, I think this is relevant because Jesus, Judas didn't like being challenged by Jesus and he couldn't accept the heavenly rea reality that Jesus sought to give him. He was stuck in his own world view. He couldn't grow spiritually or mature in Christ. But all of us, us believers, we are called to grow in Christ. 
Um, Paul writes this in Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Um, so, last week I was on holiday up in um, Northumberland and uh, I wanted to take my dog Alfie to all the, the beaches. And it was lovely. It, 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 I thought it was going to rain, it was sunshine, wonderful. Anyway, while I was up there, um, I had a meal with um, Catherine Askew, who is one of the leaders of the Northumbria community, and we've become friends over the years, so she invited me to have a meal with her on the Wednesday night. And um, she was asking how it's settling into Ruddington, and it came out, I was preaching this Sunday, what you're preaching on, Judas, we had a long talk about that. And then I said, well, I think my main thing is going to be don't have a fixed mindset, you know, uh, have a growth mindset. She said, ooh, she said, that's interesting. Uh, she said, I can remember a time when I had a really fixed mindset. And the thing with Catherine is um, American. She's from um, Tennessee. She's got this southern sort of drawl, very soft. And she says, uh, when I was 26, I'd been to university. She said, I knew the answer to any doctrinal uh, question. I knew any question that God gave me, I had an answer. Um, she said, I, uh, and as well as that, she said, I was very nice. <laughs> and then she said, uh, yeah, she said, I was, I was perfect. And uh, I went to Princeton Seminary, Princeton Seminary. I can't say how she says it. Anyway, the first day that she was there to do her masters, uh, she was in the queue behind a chap, and he had Rastafarian hair that was purple, and he had jeans on with holes in and safety pins in them. And she thought, hmm, uh, this is Princeton Seminary, the Christian College. Uh, you know, what what is a guy like that doing here? But because she was a nice person, she said hello. <laughs> she does. And he said, hello, wide smile. And uh, they sat down together and became friends. And the person was a chap called Shane Claiborne. I don't know if any of you have come across him. He's written this book, uh, which I came across some years ago, called The Irresistible Revolution. And he's, it's uh, ordinary lies for radical Christians. Anyway, they became friends, and Shane, at that point, had just started to establish a community, a Christian community called The Simple Way in Philadelphia. And um, they would uh, how, give people, homeless people shelter in the local dilapidated church, do lots of growing stuff, feed people, give them, have soup nights. Um, grow, and the way Catherine t tells it is lovely, but anyway, they recycle old toilets and uh, put plants in them and all this stuff but a lot of real ministry to the poor and he's still going on uh, he's sort of been part of peace delegations and stuff he's anti-guns uh, in America at the moment they make crosses out of guns that have come in anyway Shane Cable so they're, they're good friends and uh, she says so she saw all his, his work and um, she came home and she lay on her bed in a bit of a heap, and she said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. She says, this is just going to take a, a 
a lifetime. And she says, and then God went, aha, I like to her. And she said, if I did tell the story, I had to say it like, aha, a whole lifetime. Um, so that, that's her story. But she had to let go of this fixed mindset that she, she knew where she was going. She had all the answers. Um, she didn't really have ever so much more to learn. Uh, but God calls us to live sacrificially, doesn't he? So just um, to sum up a little bit, what is this saying for us here and now at RBC? Well, um, I think there are probably great opportunities ahead of us as a church. Um, and I know the leadership are listening hard to what God is saying. Uh, but that's something that we perhaps all need to do. And uh, we all need to try and get rid of any fixed mindset that we have here. And have it's not an open mindset. It's not being open to anything. No, it's a growth mindset where we allow God to take us and lead us forward and actually make us more Christ-centered. Um, so we need to be willing to take chances, to learn new things, and not to be afraid of failure. So I'm going to give you another opportunity now um, to just think about what sort of mindset you have at the moment. Are you of a fixed mindset or are you of a growth mindset? Are you learning new things about God or do you know, do you know it all? Okay, so this is to do in twos and threes again. Okay, and I do want to see your mouths move. <laughs> Shall we um, just remind ourselves now, using another uh, verse that occurred to me was appropriate, um, was that God wants to transform us from glory to glory. You know, that's the idea. We should always be moving on with Jesus. So the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unfailed faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's all God's work, but we have to let him work in us. Um, the, the last thing I want to say is that after the betrayal, Judas was full of remorse. Um, and there are two accounts of his death in the Bible one is that he committed suicide, and the other is that his innards spilled out onto a field that had been bought with the money he got, the 30 coins. But in, in my perception, the real tragedy is that his preoccupation with the now uh, and his disappointment, disillusionment in Jesus meant that he never got to witness the resurrection, which is the saddest thing. Um, anyway, I just want you to think again for yourselves, and this is no talking now, and you can use the little sheets that Gwyneth's prepared. Are you living in the now? Um, you know, is your life consumed with everything that you can see? Um, or is it in the now and the wow? Like, do you bring God into uh, everything that your, your whole life? 
Um, or, or are you just um, very heavenly minded and not in the now at all? Uh, so just have a think about um, your, how, how you are, are living at the moment and where your priorities are. Are they in the now? Are they in the wow?